this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Episode 12, our review of the ICER draft evidence report on resmedarome and abutacolic acid. And from The Vault, we have conversation 16.1 from Season 3, in which Chris Estes, who was then the lead modeler for the CDA Foundation, joined Jorn Schottenberg, Louise Campbell, guest Alina Allen, and me to discuss some of the challenges in building a model for a disease with a long progression path and measurable levels of spontaneous regression. It's an issue that arose during the ICER discussion, but with a very different spin, so you'll probably want to listen to all of this to get a feel for how it hangs together. This wrap-up conversation asks the panelists what they believe the impact of the ICER document will be on any stakeholder community they focus on. Louise Campbell's response focuses on how stakeholders will look at price. Jorn Schottenberg uses Veronica Miller's phrase, the genie is out of the bottle, to describe its impact, but notes that the fact of this paper means we have seen two drugs produce positive phase three results, and it is now up to the advocates and decision makers to use this paper however they will. Veronica Miller notes that the paper will affect how people think about the drugs, which is challenging given the analytical issues raised during our discussion. Jeff McIntyre notes that patient involvement can help resolve some of the challenges and issues raised in our discussion and feels that ICER bringing patients into the process is an excellent step forward. Hannah Mamushka provides a variety of reasons that patients will be particularly important here. Generations of patients most affected by this disease, mostly Gen X and Millennials, are people who tend not to see primary care doctors. We'll see increasing rates of all kinds of related morbidities, not just liver, but also cardiovascular or oncologic, and most significant to Hannah, a commercial payer community in which the payer who decides which drugs to reimburse will be unlikely to covering patients in future years when the cost savings become real. As a result, she suggests, the patients will have to care because it's unclear who else will. To hear my takes and the final wrap-up, listen to the conversation. While ICER is a private organization, its recommendations carry weight with those assessing the value and pricing of new medications. This report will leave a significant footprint in commercial space, so just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. I think, frankly, the fact that ICER looks like nice, if you will, doesn't hurt what Americans think this is as compared to what it really is, which is, as you say, advisory and kind of low-key. It certainly isn't nice. It's nothing like nice. But with all that, beyond the simple one, which is they said that it looks like resmeteron is clearly an advance and I'm not so sure about abutacolic acid, what else do you think the playouts of this thing are going to be to, to any stakeholder group you care about? Brave one, go first. Louise Campbell. I'll go first, because just, just to bring your elephant analogy in, we've alluded to price. I think the document did ochre at $233.02 a dose in comparison to $52.05 a dose for resmeterone. I just got the sense that was on the lack of data that was provided, as they commented on from ochre, but also on a one journal that was done from for resmeterone. So it was subjective to me. And I think a lot of how the fallout will come as both Hannah and um, Veronica have alluded to is going to come down to price and how it works, if it works at all, and how this document's used. And I think just to pick up on Veronica's point, NICE is a binding recommendation and it is done on cost-effective analysis. We have more people involved in the NICE process than there were involved in ISA. We have a population of 60 million people against 300 million plus. So I think 
the robustness, having just gone through the fibre scan for nearly 18 months, it is a lot more robust and it does bring data, but the data is still relatively old and very single focused. So I think there are some similarities, but there are certainly some definite benefits to the NICE process um, that we get. Jörn Schattenberg. Yeah, my feeling, my thought is, and I like the expression Veronica coined here, it's the genie's out of the bottle. We started the political discussion around which price are we going to pay for a drug in an F2, F3 patient to have potential benefits. And I think it's a political discussion in parts, uh, or let's say a public health policy uh, discussion. There are some um, mechanisms with that in Germany, and they will be looking at these type of documents, but again, come to very different conclusions potentially related to the acceptance of some of those endpoints that are being explored in the clinical trials or also the prevalence of the disease, of course. The fascinating thing is that we are here to discuss this because it means we have seen positive phase three results, as I said at the beginning, with over a thousand patients in each of those, close to a thousand in, in each of them. And that's really the major advancement here. And, and now it comes to uh, some politicians, some health economists, and of course, patients in the end also to stand up and voice what they need from those drugs. Veronica Miller. Right. So I think the long-term playout is this will kind of reinforce some of the marketing message probably of interest to investors and things. Like I said, it's not going to impact whether FDA approves the drug or not. I really don't think that they would ever pay any attention to what ICER says. And they have much, much more data to base their decision on. But it will affect how the drug is, you know, if both drugs come out in the market at some point, it will affect how people think. It's like, oh, you're getting the good drug. I'm getting the not so good drug, you know, and that is something that they put out here without really fully understanding or, or fully reviewing the data as, as they should have. Jeff McIntyre. Yeah, I think, uh, and I agree with Veronica, I don't think it's going to impact kind of the FDA evaluation and that they do have a lot more data. But I do still find and have found the process to be fascinating as much as it has allowed us kind of insight into a relatively third party you know, entity, if you will, to see kind of how do they engage the data? How do they see the disease state? How do they see patients? How do they see pricing and whatnot? And so it's been fairly fascinating to see kind of what's good and what's bad and what can be improved and what can be built upon in that process for ICER. And so we have raised lots of concerns here, some very fundamental concerns, some more nuanced concerns, and also set the stage for other things such as diagnostics and whatnot. And so let me be a little bit more of of uh, optimist to end the call on the, uh, my part on a positive note and say that well, a lot of these concerns can be reconciled, I think, in the future and the continuing process by simple patient involvement. And I know I'm a little bit of a homer for patients involved in this, but we really do. We're very thrilled to be involved in the process. Obviously, our comments were taken and not integrated at all levels as well, but we're absolutely thrilled that ICER reached out to us to be involved in the process. We've been working towards them for quite a while, and so it was really great to have them reach out and have the patient voice incorporated into the conversation. And I know I'm kind of thanking for the crumbs of just being able to be allowed in the room, but patients so often have not been allowed in the room for these conversations that ultimately affect them. And as Jorn just said, it will come down to politicians, to providers, and to patients. So we're thrilled to be in the room and we look forward to raising all these issues with a greater ferocity in years to come. Hannah Mamushka. Yeah, Jeff, I, th I think the patient voice is going to be maybe even more important here than in other 
other diseases because we have a situation where we don't have great diagnostics in a population that often doesn't have a PCP. That's the other thing about the millennials and the younger Gen Xers, which is really where this is going to drive to. They don't have a PCP, so they're not being monitored even for sugar levels, type 2 diabetes, body weight, body composition, any of that. And that's really where this disease is going to hit. And we're going to see massive comorbidities with cardiovascular disease, with increasing rates that we're already seeing in oncology. And when you think about sort of the economics of it, and you know, I always hate talking like this because I sound like an ogre, but this is the reality of the US healthcare system, which is that you have to figure out the who cares question. And the patients need to be informed that they care. They need to be informed that they're at risk. They need to be informed to ask questions of their PCP before they get to a hepatologist because most of them are not going to get to a hepatologist. But the who cares question is like when you're on commercial insurance and to an extent when you're on Medicaid, it's an annualized budget. So if your diagnosis of NASH is not going to affect me as a commercial payer in this year, do I really care about it? Do I need to manage you for it? Are you going to get liver cancer this year? Are you going to go into liver failure? Meh, maybe not. And unfortunately, like that is where a lot of the balance of these decisions are going to get made from a commercial perspective. And having that patient voice out there to ask, am I at risk? What diagnostics? Not likely to be liver biopsy. Should I be using to figure out my risk, um, my progression, what I should be doing is going to be really critical to stem the tide and to get the patients who need drugs, the access to the drugs and the coverage for the drugs. I, I couldn't agree more, Hannah. I had kind of two takeaways from this. And the third one is one that, that I should have thought a little more about is one that you and Jess just said. The first one is that the one thing this report's going to say to everybody who looks at it is at least for us, Miram, okay, that's progress. So so that in and of itself is a is a big moment. And the idea that goes, albuterol acid is probably progress in if F3, we just need to see a little more data. To me, that's even better since I, the one thing I've said probably a thousand times since I started this podcast on the podcast is that with one drug, the question is whether, and with second drug, the question is which, and that grows markets faster. So that's the one side. The other side is it's going to be enhanced payers. They're scared to death of the population size. I mean, you know, they've alluded to this being people in private conversation have told me they think this is bigger than hep C, which is kind of interesting if you think about the original price of the DAAs when they came to market, which is multiples of what anybody's estimating even OCA will be, let alone resmeterone. But we have to help people get clarity. And I think you're right. It's got to come from the patients, Hannah, because the payer data is exactly as you say. Two-thirds of all my patients are gone two years later. So why am I worrying about three years from now? If patients worry about three years from now, and if they make their voices heard, then they reframe the politics of the discussion. And so th those are my two takes out of this, is that it's going to have to come from the patients because the uh, epiprevalence data isn't in this document and isn't compelling and doesn't help payers. But we know that we got drugs. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to preview May's second annual Innovations in NAFLD Care Conference with co-hosts Jorn Schottenberg, who's a regular here, as you know, and Jeff Lazarus, who's not. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.